Dan Fromer. I think it's been a while since you've been on the show. It has. Thanks for having me back. Always fun. Um, we got an Apple event coming up next week. We're recording on Friday, the 6th of September. Tuesday is the event out in California. Uh, we could talk about that, obviously. We've got other stuff to talk about. Why don't we just start, though, by talking about you, Dan? Oh, you, sure. All right. Let's do you've, it. <laughs> you've, you've bounced around. You've left. You were at Recode for a while. You were editor-in-chief. What were you at, at Recode? Yeah, editor-in-chief for uh, about two and a half years until the, uh, end of last year, and that, late last year. Now you're, 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 you're on your own again, which makes me happy. Makes me feel like I'm less alone. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, I've always I've always uh, admired and uh, yearned for the indie uh, publisher lifestyle, and um, you know, those who've heard me on this show before may remember uh, what was it? Eight years ago, I started a, an indie site called Splat F, which was covering Apple and the greater Apple ecosystem. Um, but that was uh, during the era of uh, banner ads and. Um, that proved not to be a great business model for a small indie um, publication, even one with a with a really high end audience. And uh, and so I, you know, I had a I had some really amazing uh, job opportunities that I ended up taking for um, basically six years. And um, and in that me in the meantime, the uh, the subscription model has really taken off. Um, you know, I, I give all credit to I think. You know, I'm pretty sure in all industries, not just tech, but Ben Thompson is really the one with Stratechery who, um, you know, was just kind of getting started as I was um, kind of shutting down Splat F. But this, um, you know, this model of charging people a hundred or two or three hundred dollars a year for access to, um, you know, in theory a newsletter, but also a website and and you know probably much more. Um, has really taken off, especially for things that uh, are professionally oriented that people can, you know, expense to their business or at least write off their taxes. Yeah. And um, and so I started one. I left I left Recode uh, end of last year and and beginning of this year started something uh, called the New Consumer, which you can find out at newconsumer.com. Um, it. It takes my almost 15 years uh, as a journalist covering technology and uh, applies those lessons to kind of the field that I'm most interested in personally, which is consumer. Um, there's, you know, it's a golden era of e-commerce, a golden era of consumer. You see all these new direct-to-consumer brands launching. You see big companies like Amazon taking over the world. You see really interesting um you know, new brands, many of which sponsor podcasts like this one. And, uh, <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, it's it very really true. Is. Yeah. And, and many of them have been enabled by technology in a way that earlier brands have not, uh, whether that is, you know, literally selling a, a technology based product or service or using technology, uh, and, and digital marketing as the way that they, um, attract their customers and and even you know using uh, technology um, kind of culture to iterate on their product. So um, anyway, so I, I launched the new consumer uh, in March, actually at the Apple event where we I think I sat next to you at the uh, Apple Services event and um, have been doing it since then. It's um, it's been going great. It's you know it, it is designed for professionals. It's two hundred dollars a year. Um, which gets you two emails a week from me. 
uh, and the, the you know the model is very similar to how much uh, is it? How much is it again? It's two hundred dollars a year, and I at, at the at now I, for now I only offer an annual membership. Um, you know, part of that was to get, get that money up front to almost as a Kickstarter yeah. um, for for my business, but. Uh, you know, I, I am I'm an ambitious person, and I see it uh, over time as being much more than just a newsletter. Um, you know, and, and a membership in a community that uh, I really want people who are focused on the the big picture and the long term to to be a part of. So I might, um, you know, Ben Ben and many others. I, it's funny I subscribe to probably four or five of these now. Um, you know, I'm sure many of the listeners to this show know about Above Avalon yep. from Neil Seibart, which is yep. a really great Apple kind of uh, investor financial, focused, yeah. yeah, investor focused financial analysis of Apple and also the tech world. You know, through the lens of Apple. Um, but there's a great one. That I get uh, by John Ostrauer covering the aviation industry. Um, there, there's a bunch of them, and you know, I, I guess the Athletic is kind of the Athletic is like a consumer version of this, right? Covering yeah. sports, um, it's less expensive. Few people are expensing the Athletic. I am because I write about the media industry, but most people are not expensing the Athletic. Um, and you know, of course, the model is do some free articles here and there. Uh, I, I should, I would love to get to the, the pace of doing one free article a week in addition to the two paid ones and, um, you know, and try to do something that no one else is doing. So it's not, you know, I'm not writing, um, straight news articles. I'm doing analysis. I'm doing commentary. I'm, um, you know, following up so much. It's so, it's so interesting how you can just follow up on something and be the only person who's following up on something. If, you know, companies make these big announcements all the time and, um, you know, and a lot of them don't really work out or work out differently than people imagine. So, um, I, I try to focus on the why and the how, and, um, you know, it's a lot about e-commerce. I, the tag is kind of, it's a, it's a publication about how and why people spend their time and money. Um, and, uh, you know, almost, almost six months in, it's great. I love it. Um, I'm sticking with it. The, the caliber of the, of the membership is really fantastic. Um, I really believe in the model and it's, it's perfect for someone like me who really wants to control all aspects of the, of the publication and the business. You know, I designed the WordPress template myself. Um, I made the logo. I, you know, I love doing all that sort of stuff. You're a I man. wish I had, you're a man after my own heart. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had more time to, um, you know, make the charts and do all that stuff. But part of it is just the the craziness of and, and really the, the opportunity to do all of it. And I love this model. I love that. Um, I love seeing people jump into it. And um, it's been really great so far. It we we are of a like when we look back on it, it's like, all right, I, me, I have an interesting I've carved out an interesting career. But, uh, you know, I have not <laughs> bounced around, <laughs> you know, like somehow I made it work and then I just keep doing the same thing. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, keenly tuned in to, uh, you know, what's going on with solo practitioners, for lack of a better word, like you and Ben and Jason Kotke and, and you know, uh, but also, you know, the, the, just the whole media landscape, like the people who, who you and I would consider peers you know, roughly, you know, of our rough generation, like what a crazy period to be in the media, right? Like it, it, it's so different from just when Daring Fireball started in 2002. And some of the new sites, you know, like places like Recode, 
and the verge and all of the various Vox properties. Like I'm, I, I love them and I spend an awful lot of time. I mean, anybody who reads Daring Fireball knows how often I wind up linking to Recode and BuzzFeed News and Vox. And these are all pop publications that I, I don't think any of the ones I just mentioned were around 10 years ago. Uh, maybe the verge, I forget when, when that, when that happened, but, um, and they're great. And, you know, it, you know, and I know so many people, uh, you know, and it's no quite, you know, it's just the way careers go. But, you know, someone like John Patchkowski, who's one of the great Apple beat writers, you know, has been at both BuzzFeed News and at Recode, um, was previously, you know, at the, the, I think he was at the Wall Street Journal, right? He was there with... Uh, he was part of All Things D, which yeah, became Recode. Yeah, right. Um, so right. Recode in some ways is young, but also right. in some ways is almost right. 13 years old. Right. But, you know, it, it's just an interesting time. But it, there was a period there where I wouldn't say I was depressed, but there was a period where the, the, the solo practitioners really seemed to be drying up. And I really thought that like when I made daring fireball work, I thought this is the future and there's going to be so many people doing this. And that I just happened to have a leg up by a few years because in 2002, you still needed to be a, a bit of a, web developer to run your own website, you know, like, and it was great that there were things like movable type, but even just in, you know, installing movable type was beyond the ken of a somebody who didn't have some kind of web development background. And then, you know, I don't know, at some point it seemed like it dried up and now it really seems like it's back on the upswing. And it's fascinating to me that it's not really through blogs. It's, it's like you just said, largely or, or significantly through subscription newsletters, you know, like, and, you know, I hate to say it, you know, I hope he doesn't listen because he's on the show all the time, but Ben Thompson has done an amazing job. Uh, and I'm truly, I marvel at his output, you know, like he is, he's a machine in terms of getting his daily updates out and getting his free to the public to read column out every Tuesday. I think, I think Tuesdays is when his, uh, free one drops. I mean, week after week after week. Yeah, like scary consistency, yeah. and it's always good too. It's right. um, it, you know, it, uh, it's uh, <laughs> obviously jealousy inducing, but also an inspiration. And yeah. um, you know, and and by the way, not everyone can keep that pace up, or even you know, my pace. Um, you know, you see a lot of people starting newsletters, and you know, even my free newsletter, Points Party, which we're talking about that later, but like, I, I haven't kept up with that nearly as much as I want to. Um, but this model where you are, where your customers are literally, you know, the people you're writing for, and there's a direct two-way relationship, um, I think it's great. It really, really keeps me going. Um, I'm, I long to be as consistent uh, as Ben and uh, you know, if I'm still doing this in, I think he's been doing Stratechery now for five or six years. Um, and s many of those full time, Yeah, I, I would, I would be so happy to be doing this in, in six or 10 years. It's, um, to me, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, um, you know, hu huge credit to him, but also to you and, and everyone else is doing this. The other thing that it plays into is, and, and there was a talk that Merlin Mann and I, uh, like a, I don't know. God, it must have been like 2006 or 2007 at South by Southwest. Uh, people still watch it all the time. I think I think it's evergreen content, but we're you know just talking about it, and it's. I think I was there live. You might have been. You. I think you might have been. Uh, 
but and it was Merlin's point more than mine. Um, but it was more or less uh, just finding your passion and pursuing it. Uh, I don't know, I'll find it for the show notes, but it, it's it's always exciting and interesting and very obvious to me when somebody is writing about what they're passionate about. Where you know, like the worst is like going back to school and like i i you know i've turned out to be a quote-unquote professional writer and and people seem to be a fan of my writing and sometimes i feel like i'm actually doing it pretty well um but i think if you went back and read a lot of my stuff in high school that i handed in as assignments it was dreadfully dull because i was bored out of my mind right that's like that's the worst and sometimes even you know and you're reading a newspaper or something it's like you can just kind of tell that whoever wrote this just it's homework to them. And I think the opposite, when you can find somebody writing about something that if, if money were no object, if they were independently wealthy, they'd still want to be writing about blank. And you can, and as the reader, that passion, it's just this symbiotic relationship where you want to read more from this person and the person writing it wants to keep writing it because they've got this obsession. I think the way Merlin put it was obsession times voice. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and to your earlier point, I think newsletters make it easy for two reasons. One is uh, it's very easy to set up a paywall for a newsletter that works. It, you know, you, you sign up once and you just get the email. And yeah. um, you know, and yes, there's a website that you can log into, and you know, Memberful, the service that I use, and that that Ben uses and, and Jason Snell uses and every, and pretty, and Kotke uses like it's actually does a pretty good job at keeping you logged in. Um, however, guess what? Everybody still reads their email. And if your goal is to be essential to someone's professional life, um, you better be in their email. So uh, it's, you know, of course there'll be a point where people are getting too much email and too many newsletters. And I've probably unsubscribed from, a few, um, even from people I like, but, uh, right now it's working and, um, and I, I love seeing, uh, Substack and other services, uh, get, you know, get investment and, and become yeah. popular. It's to me, it's a really interesting, uh, really great time as you, as you say. Yeah. And, and Snell's, uh, I, I don't think Kotke charges for his newsletter, but like the six colors model that Jason Snell has carved out is sort of a hybrid model where there's a, you know, just a traditional blog with sponsors um, and, you know, content daily and links and original articles and uh, but also a members members only program that gets you something like a exclusive to the members paying members weekly newsletter, you know, and that hybrid model. I, I've, I've always I probably don't try enough things. I've probably in my as I teeter towards old age, I've, I've, I was more successful in the early days of daring fireball when I would just try stuff, you know, and I, I tried the membership thing way back, you know, like when I did went first, went full time with daring fireball in 2006. And then I figured it had to be something, I, I don't want to repeat myself cause I've spoken about this before, but my idea wasn't to have original exclusive content. It was, um, uh, that what I call link list entries, which is funny because it's like 90% of what I do now at Daring Fireball. Like that, that was the new thing. Like for the first two years, all I had were the full articles, like the columns, two or three a week. 
And then I thought, well, there's always a couple of little things I'd like to link to, but I don't want to write a full article about it. And then I thought, well, what I could do is I could uh, charge people, members, and they'd get an exclusive RSS feed that would have the links as I posted them. And 24 hours after I posted each one, it would go up on the website for everybody to see free of charge. So if you wanted to follow, you know, what I linked to as I wrote it, you'd have to have the RSS feed. Uh, that didn't really work out. And then I switched to, I thought, just for technical reasons, basically basically because Google Reader didn't work with subscription-only RSS feeds or private RSS feeds. Um, and that's when I came up with the idea for sponsorship <laughs> for the RSS feed, which is basically how I feed my family for the last – how I fed my family for the last 13 years. <laughs> yeah. But uh, – but anyway, I, I think that's great. And I talked about it last week on my show with Brent Simmons, where I think that the resurgence of newsletters, it goes hand in hand with a bit of the resurgence of interest in RSS readers. Um, because I, I think that there's just a, a pleasure in the reading experience where if I sign up for the new consumer, when a new issue comes into my email box – I see it. I know exactly what it's going to be. And when I click on it or tap on it, depending on what device I am, I there it is. And it is nicely. It looks nice. It is ready for me to read. And I can start scrolling. And there's nothing, no pop-ups come up telling me that there's a freaking cookie policy and I've got to say it. I'm okay with this. There's no uh, pop-up that comes up covering the content telling me I have to log in again, like the goddamn Wall Street Journal, which I pay a fortune for. Right, like it makes it reading stuff on the web with that's paid it, it is so annoying. It really is. I, I, the Wall Street Journal, in particular. I mean, they, I don't know what the hell kind of cookie system they have, but I get logged out of the Wall Street Journal all the time, and I pay. A, it's like probably one of my most, if not the most expensive subscription I have. It's it's ridiculous. Like you wouldn't put up with it if in the real world. Like imagine if you paid you know, whatever, you know, a couple hundred bucks a year, uh, which is, I think what I pay for the wall street journal to be like a member of a club. And every time you show up at the, every other time you show up at the club, they're like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and you have to like, you have to like show them your ID. You got to like sign in, you got to type a password or something like that. Like you'd, you'd, you'd never tolerate it. Whereas like with RSS and RSS still isn't great for, in my opinion, and I don't think it ever will be for for paywall stuff, for subscription, for member only stuff. But that, like you said, that's why email and newsletters are fantastic, right? Like I'd, I've been subscribed to Stratechery for years. I've never once had to re-enter my credentials. Every time Ben publishes something, there it is in my email box, ready to read. And I think that that is a big part of this resurgence in, in email, the like oldest of old parts of the internet, uh, which is it's so it's fascinating to me, right? Like just the oldest thing on the internet that's still thriving and it's like still growing. And honestly, you know, and I'm I know I'm one of the rare people. I mean, you and I are among the rare people. Like I actually really really care about the reader experience. And uh, you know, side note, it's driving me crazy how hard it is to. I, I have to mess with my Mailchimp template, and I just haven't done it yet. But. Um, you know, even working at uh, and and Vox Media was great about this. Like Rico, The Verge, the sites in our in our networks, like they also highly prioritize the reader. But yeah. you read half the sites nowadays, and 
you have to find like three or four modal little tiny X's yep. or <laughs> click off these these passive aggressive email pop up forms right. that are increasingly like, no, I don't want free stuff from you, jerk. You and know that kind of stuff. It, it's like the X is like a fifty percent gray X on a 20, yeah. on a twenty five percent gray box. It is like. <laughs> I just I don't want to live like that. So no. I, I you know it's it's great to be able to have a, a you know a, a medium and a and a site where um you know there are no pop-ups there's no you don't have to click off anything. No. I the typography is nice. It's from yeah. New Zealand. I picked it out specifically for you and um I don't know. It, it to me it just feels great. So there's there's no uh, ads that are that are uh, uh creeping me out. Just trying yep. to sell me pants with just me. Just a picture with, of me trying to sell you a right. subscription. But with, <laughs> me, with me knowing that I just bought two pairs of pants two days yeah, ago right. on a website, and now every goddamn site I go to is trying to sell me pants. It's like, I just bought pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, newsletters. Yeah. It's been – anyway, it's been great. And I'll be writing about the iPhone next week. So yeah. – or I guess this week, whatever, whenever this drops. But yeah. – Well, let me take um, a break. Let me take a break and uh, – uh, hit the money button and tell you about our first sponsor. It's a brand new sponsor. It's called Clear Bank. All one word, but they spell bank with a C. So it's clear, B-A-N-C. Clear Bank is changing the way entrepreneurs raise money with equity-free capital. Co-founder Michelle Romanow, star of Canada's Dragon Den, or Dragon's Den. That's the like the Canadian version of Shark Tank. Uh, co-founded ClearBank with her partner, Andrew D'Souza, after seeing how many companies were willing to part with precious equity in exchange for a bigger marketing budget. ClearBank believes that founders shouldn't give up a piece of their company just to fund marketing and inventory expenses. They make equity-free investments from $10,000 to $10 million and can get you a term sheet in less than 20 minutes. They charge a small flat fee for the capital and you pay them back using a win-win revenue share. This is not a loan. There is no interest rate, no fixed maturation rate, no personal guarantees, no credit checks, and no financial covenants. ClearBank has relationships with marketing agencies, e-commerce professionals, venture capitalists, accountants, and more, giving you a true unfair advantage in the market. They've invested over $150 million in 2018, and they're on track to invest over $1 billion this year. This is a company that has been around for a while with real money. Uh, some notable portfolio companies are Public Goods, Lisa Sleep, Latote, and Buffy, to name just a few. Uh, so if you're doing over if – you, if you're a company and you're doing over $10,000 a month in revenue – they're, they want to talk to you. Find out how you can receive ClearBank Capital by getting your 20-minute term sheet at ClearBank. That's, again, with a C for the bank. ClearBank.com slash talk show. ClearBank. Stop pitching and get back to doing what you love, growing your business. My thanks to them. First time sponsoring the talk show. Uh, what should we move on to? I guess we should cover this event before we run out of time. Yeah, um, nothing, nothing important. Just the you know, just the iPhone event. Yeah, just the biggest event of the year. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the biggest event of the. It's for me personally, it's probably WWDC because uh, I'm a little bit more on the software side. I do my live show, uh, which has turned into a big deal. Uh, 
for the greater world, clearly the, uh, the, the September iPhone event is the bigger deal because it's hardware and financially for Apple, it is because that's still, that's still what the company is. And also kind of historically, or at least in the last decade where they've also kind of had the, uh, where they've showed off the big new stuff like the Apple watch and yeah, yeah, true. Um, it's also a little interesting, though, because they, they hold it at the Steve Jobs Theater, which is bigger than um, – that for years, they were, they'd were they hold the, the iPhone event at weird – or not weird places, but uh, just various – they couldn't hold it on Apple's campus because the old town hall is way, way too small. Um, so they would hold it at places like the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium. I think the last few years, that's where they had it before uh, before they could – before they opened the Steve Jobs Theater, um, they used to hold it uh, at the Yerba Buena Theater, right there on the same block as Moscone, um, which was still that was pretty tight. But even the Steve Jobs Theater, I forget how many people can fit in there, but it's not huge. Whereas the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium was humongous, and WWDC's keynote is humongous, just an enormous cavernous space. So it is. It's interesting to me, just at a meta level, how tight you know seating is, and how a little bit. There's I know more people in the media who get invite you know can get a press invitation to the WWDC than the iPhone event. Just be and it's simply a factor of how many how many butts they can fit in the theater. Um, so anyway, what are we expecting next week? That's the other weird thing about the September event is that there's often not much of a surprise other than details. Um, like, And so it's weird because I'm fascinated by the details, but um, it's in the large sense the press will – it seems to always – like the, the, the mainstream press will usually um, just say, well, this is everything – You know, every, we, three new iPhones, that's what we expected. No surprises. <laughs> Right, and now and gripe about pricing and uh, something else, but I think yeah. the we can start with the iPhones. I mean, um, it seems like we pretty much know what we're going to get, right? Uh, yeah, I th- yeah, pretty much. Uh, it sounds, you know, and I think I think it's unavoidable given the leakiness of the uh, the supply chain. Basically, and we've known this for my or we think we've known it. Let's you know. Put, put whenever we speak with certainty of what we know, <laughs> let's just put an asterisk that says we're ninety eight percent sure that we're just going to get successors to what we got last year. So there'll be a new phone that's like the ten R, a new phone like the ten S, and a new phone like the ten S Max with the A thirteen chip, and that the the two ten S successors are going to have three camera systems on the back, which is the big physical change instead of two cameras. So it'll be a big square back there instead of a. Uh, Tylenol capsule shape thing, um, and new colors apparently, supposedly maybe. Uh, I've heard. I don't know if this. I don't. Know, I forget if this leaked or not, or if I only heard this through the fence that there might that the 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 10s models, which I think are going to be called Pro iPhone 11 Pro. I don't know, but that that the iPhone 11 Pro will be offered in a new color, uh, like a blue. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I heard. So it would be, so it'd be the white with the silver trim, the black, of course, can't can't not have black, gold and blue. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, 
new 10R. Would that also correspond to a blue watch? I wonder, and we could talk about the watch later, because I wonder, you know, there's, you know, we'll talk about this, but that there's rumors that they're going to have titanium and ceramic in addition to stainless steel and and aluminum. Uh, And I wonder, I mean, aluminum to me would be the easiest to tint. I don't know that, I don't know if, I guess they could do titanium in any color they want. Ceramic, I guess they could do, and ceramic, I guess you could do any color under the sun because you're not even coating it. Like you just make the ceramic in the material. But anyway, let's talk about watches later. The big thing that I'm most interested in is the three-camera system for the Pro models. Um, And the idea is that in addition to the two lenses we have now, like the regular lens and the 2X quote-unquote telephoto lens, which isn't really telephoto, but I get why Apple calls it telephoto because it's zoomed in at, at its natural resolution, that there'll be the third camera that they're adding will be a wide angle lens that's significantly wider than the standard lens so there'll be the new one you know there'll still be the default one which is what everybody which is kind of a wide angle lens i think it's like a 28 millimeter equivalent for 35 millimeter cameras um the telephoto which is the equivalent of a 50 and then a wider angle lens which at least in terms of the rumors nobody knows exactly how wide wider angle is i i think that's interesting because i'm a camera enthusiast um The thing I'm most interested, though, is how the – and again, this is the sort of thing that at least so far hasn't leaked at all and tends not to because I think that it it, – the iOS 13 betas that go out to the public don't have the code that, you know, it's a different fork within Apple from the version that has the code that supports the new hardware features on new hardware. Right, so I'm most interested in what the camera team had has done software wise with that third camera because there it's not just like a simple uh, like the on the phones with, that we already have with the two cameras it's not just well you're either using the one lens or you're using the other and it just switches like like as though it was like a hardware switch between the two lenses. Um, the software does some very interesting stuff. You know, it's like the fact that you can start a video with the 1X lens and it'll switch to the 2X lens if you zoom while you're shooting. And yet the video doesn't have like a skip where it looks like you've suddenly flipped lenses. Um, the way that the portrait mode works and it uses the 2X lens for the photo, but uses the 1X lens to get the depth masks to help create that fake bokeh effect. Like I strongly, I have no idea. I have no inside information on it, but I strongly suspect that they'll they'll use this extra wide angle lens for similar stuff to make photos better, even when you're not actually shooting the photo with that lens. I don't know. That could be really interesting. I mean, if you if you look at where software has been, um, kind of the most fun and interesting in photography, it's certainly not in the stock camera apps these days, it's like the Instagram super zoom in stories and all the AR stuff that Snapchat and Instagram have been doing. So I wonder if I I always wonder how, how much Apple lets itself be inspired by stuff like that, that is kind of more fun than practical. Um, You know, if, if there's a, a super zoom type effect or, you know, even, even just a suite of special effects where um, you know, you, it zooms in very quickly on someone 
you know, switching between the different cameras or something like that. That that could be kind of fun. Um, I just I don't you know, and they've added some effects over the years. I just wonder how how wacky they uh, will let themselves get. But I'm I'm also sure there's probably things that that we can't just imagine here on the fly that when they show them off um, will be interesting and um you know an impressive once you once you've kind of get to play once you've been developing with multiple cameras for that long i imagine they've figured out some neat tricks that uh that could be cool yeah um uh otherwise though i don't know you know what else you know with the phones i mean i i can't wait to see it but i don't know what else to conjecture about now three days in advance yeah, I mean the, the the pro thing is kind of interesting. You know, how is this going to be the the venue to kind of talk about what it means to be a pro, um, or is that just straight up a marketing term? And then uh, part B of that is does it is it become the only pro item without a, a USB C port in the mm-hmm. lineup? <laughs> I, I think that I think that one's been busted, right? It's it's probably going to be Lightning still. So. Yeah, that's a good question. That's actually a really good question because I and I, I say it's a good question. <laughs> I know it's a good question because I actually have at least three different people have asked me that in the on Twitter in the last twenty four hours based on my daring fireball article, guessing that they're going to call it the iPhone eleven Pro. Um, uh, so there's I have two answers to that. One is according to the rumor mill from the supply chain, it's they're still all lightning. And that's the sort of thing that would very likely leak just because there's nothing Apple can do about it, right? Because the actual, you know, I don't know how many of the phones are actually in North America already, but certainly some of them already are. And prototypes have certainly been in the hands of Apple employees for months now. And the review units that'll start getting seated next week I'm guessing are already here. I can't imagine that they would, you know, want to cut it so close that they're, but who knows? I don't know how that works, but if they're not here, they're on the way here. Um, because the review units typically start getting seated to people the day of the event. Um, it, it's just, just, it's just no way to hide something like that. And then the, my other answer would be strategically. I think there's a very big difference. I, there is a correlation between the current pro devices and USB-C ports, but like on the Mac, it never really made sense to have a lightning port. So USB-C is just the next generation of USB. So I, I feel like the fact that all the Mac Mac pros and MacBook, well, I guess the Mac pro actually doesn't have USC, USB-C yet. Cause the Mac pro is from <laughs> 10 years ago, the one that you can buy today, but like the iMac pro does and MacBook pro does. And surely the new Mac pro that's coming out, soon will have USB-C ports. Or I guess we even know that. I get we've seen it already at, when it was previewed at WWDC. Um the one that makes people who want to see the iPhone get a USB-C port hopeful is the iPad Pro. That's the one. So the when the iPad, you know, changed from iPad to iPad Pro, the Pro has USB-C instead of Lightning and they continue to make other iPads that are just called iPad Air or iPad Mini, and they still have Lightning. And so I can see there's a certain logic to the notion that if Apple is going to start calling some iPhones Pro and some are not Pro, that the Pro ones would have USB-C and the other ones would, would not. So I get that. 
but strategically, I don't think there's, I don't think Apple has ever even considered switching the iPhone to USB-C. No, it's a fun exercise, but I, I can't imagine that would happen. There's the lightning ecosystem is just too big. And, um, and also like for the iPad pro, I think a lot of it was for the, the power delivery and the fast charging of something that, you know, has a giant battery in it. Whereas even an, even an iPhone pro, I think is still going to have a a normal, normal ish battery and and probably even continue to have a smaller battery than the, whatever the XR becomes. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- it, it uh, my money's on lightning. Yeah. And it would be, even if the, even if the rumor mill were silent on it, I would, I would say lightning I'll say, and I'm going to say, so the rumor mill, it doesn't go that far ahead. I honestly st- still believe that the iPhone, every iPhone will have lightning from now through the end of time until they don't even have a port. As long as there's a port that you plug into, uh, it'll be lightning, I think. All right. That, I, yeah, that well, makes sense. I, I, I don't know. I, I, or I'll at least say for the next five years. I don't know. Who knows what would happen five years from now? Um, the cool uh, thing – oh, People don't going. believe me. People don't I, – I say this and I know some people are so skeptical and think that every corporation, it, no matter which one, that you – that, that they're full of shit with everything they say. But with Apple, a lot of the time, you really can take them at their word. And their explanation when the iPad Pro switched to USB-C was that these the iPad Pro is meant as an alternative to a traditional laptop PC. And therefore, it, they're using, including USB-C so that you can use PC peripherals. Um, that's what they said. They also mentioned specifically that it supports higher, faster charging rates, and it comes with a hmm, what what is that iPad charger? I forget how many watts. Uh, I think it's eighteen. I, yeah, it ships with an eighteen watt, but it can take advantage of up to a thirty watt charger uh, to charge even faster. So if you spend more money, or the smarter thing, go to somebody like Anchor and buy a third party thirty watt charger. Uh, you could charge your iPad Pro faster, uh, and those things are tiny. They're, they're amazing. really tiny. Anchors yeah. in particular are really, really tiny. Um, uh, I, that's what they said, and I think that's what they mean. Well, the, I don't think the iPhone will be able to take advantage of thirty watt charging. I mean, it would be interesting. I guess that's one small thing that we can conjecture: is, is will Apple finally ship it with more than a five watt charger? Like last year, still shipped with five watt chargers, and I know, I know the nerds out there that, and you know, I know a lot of you who are listening to my show are in that think that that's outrageous, but there really is a a flip side to it, which is that a lot of people like that chart the charger that they ship with iPhones because it's so small and because therefore it fits anywhere where there's a plug, it will fit. And it fits in uh, a, a woman's purse, even if it's a very small purse, so they can carry a charger with them everywhere they go. And there's, uh, there really are, and I've talked to people at Apple about this, and I know people think it's because Tim Cook is is a tightwad and wants to squeeze an extra $5 out of every uh, iPhone sold by shipping a cheaper charger. But there really are millions and millions and millions of iPhone users who prefer the little square five watt charger because it's because it's small and they don't care if it's slower and i know people don't 
people who listen to the show don't believe me, but I know that that's true. So hopefully what they'll do is ship it with a, a higher capacity charger that's relatively small. Yeah, if they could get you know a, a faster or whatever you want to call it, a higher capacity charge in that same exact size or keep it 5-watt but make it even smaller, right. I'm not sure how possible that is yeah. either, but... Um, I don't think it's funny. uh, You know, I just spent uh, four months overseas, and the chargers are so big there. Yeah, (laughs) especially in the UK. Yeah, the wall sockets. But anyway, um, (laughs) the the UK ones look like some kind of like uh, something out of a Terry Gilliam film. Like it's it's, meant to (laughs) meant to look silly. It's crazy. I mean, you can't put that in your pocket. But um, yeah, uh, although the, the the ones in France were were bigger but they were kind of skinny it was kind of a good a good shape but um yeah i I, here's the thing the other thing is i think that you know apple probably knows this too that probably 90 percent of charging occurs you know at a at nighttime while people are are sleeping so the speed of the charge is probably less important than what what's obviously a bigger problem is when you're almost out of battery and you need a quick charge um and that's where both of these things, both the five five watt and also the wireless charging, which is increasingly common, neither of those things really help with that. Yeah, they and, don't help in that. Oops, holy crap! I forgot to charge my phone, or like every once in a while, like I have the bedside wireless charging thing, but it's you know, and, and the one I have, I forget. I think it's the Mophie. Um, you know, it's okay. It, the sweet spot isn't too small, but it. it you know, once every two months or so, I'll have a night where I I didn't quite hit it, and I'll wake up in the morning and my phone didn't charge at all. Uh, it would be nice now. Usually, with the way I live my life, working here, it doesn't really matter. But if I had to leave the house every day for you know a commute or something like that, it would be nice. It's nice every once in a while when you really when your phone's already under twenty percent to charge it to at least like eighty percent pretty quickly. So fast charging definitely has a use. And it would be nice if it came in the box. Yeah, I love it with the um, with the thirty watt uh, anchor charger and then the USB C to Lightning. Uh, especially if I, you know, if I check into a hotel or something, and I just I need to give me as much charge as I can get in ten minutes before I have to leave. Uh, it's great for that. The thing that uh, that I'm intrigued by is this rumor of wireless reverse charging, um, where you can theoretically charge your AirPods off of the back of. The new iPhone, yeah. Via, whether you, it's Qi or or you know Qi yeah. plus Apple Magic, yeah. Like, will there be other things that that you can also put on the back of your phone that would charge? Like, could you bum a charge off someone else's phone yeah. onto your phone? Well, the Samsung ones that have this similar feature, or at least conceptually the same feature, definitely let you charge another phone because they even, and they even advertise it as like a, you know, like their, their TV ads show people like, you know, uh, this guy meets a girl in a coffee shop and, you know, introduces himself by letting her charge her phone on his phone. Uh, cool. Type of thing. I don't think, from what I've heard, I don't think Apple's is going to do that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's AirPods only. And I yeah. don't think, I don't think they could do the watch because the watch needs like the magnetic connection. Whereas the AirPods, you could just put side by side. But who knows? Maybe they will. I don't know. I mean, well, here's did the watch ever get? Did the watch ever ship with whatever it needed to charge off of the power mat? The uh, what was that thing called? The AirPad? Air, Air, Air Power. 
Air Power. I supposedly or... Air Power was just going to work with all existing watches. I remember yeah. when, it, when when it was still a <laughs> a product. I remember asking, and it wasn't going to be like, oh yeah, it would only work with the new watch. It supposedly would work with any watch. So maybe that would work. I don't know. Yeah. Although the watch, my my problem is never the watch running no. out of battery. It's the it's only the phone really. So yeah, same with AirPods. Really, I I don't yeah. I, I I can't remember the last time I even heard the bloop bloop that little sad sound. Uh, you know, no, so, especially the new ones. Yeah, so I don't know. To me, it's a neat feature, but it's not a big feature. Uh, I'll tell you one thing I'm looking forward to on the new phone. Supposedly, and again, you know, it doesn't. It's only like words that have leaked. It's nobody seems to have pictures yet. I mean, who knows? The last weekend is always it's always dangerous recording on a Friday before the event, and it's supposed. <laughs> It's like I want to get it out so people traveling yeah. and stuff like that can listen to it. But it's always surprising what might leak on Sunday. Um, but one of the things people have said, sources have said, is that the the glass back of the new phones might have a matte finish, at least in certain colors. Mm. That would be very appealing to me. I my My least favorite thing about these phones over the last three years, really, because I would even include the jet black iPhone 8 that I've that I carried for a year is the way that you can't tell which side is which by touch. Like I think I said on a recent episode of the show, my one regret over the years of buying iPhones is that I didn't get the matte black iPhone eight instead of the jet black, because I think I would have, I think I liked the aesthetic better overall in the long term. I think I was just infatuated by the glossy jet black at first, the Darth Vader ish sort of finish. Um, but I, 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 I just – I really dislike the way that when you're – and like I tell – you know, I, I always try to put the phone in my pocket the same way, glass facing my thigh as opposed to the screen out just in case something, you know, hits me in the thigh. It hopefully will crack the back, not the front. Um, but, you know, every once in a while you, your phone is flipped around or it's on the, on the table or something like that. I don't know. It's just it, – it, to me, it's just generally – and it also to me makes it more slippery. I would – presume that a matte glass finish for the back would would be have a little bit you know literally have more texture so i hope that's true on on the lightning versus USB-C front before we we keep move on even further the other thing i just i cannot emphasize enough is I, among our crowd people who listen to this show people who read this site people who people who really know understand the difference like know what USB-C is they want USB-C on the iPhone because they really are – and I see it. I get it. They're enamored with the idea that they could carry fewer cables around. Wouldn't it be neat if you could just – you could – even if you, you travel with an iPad and a phone and a MacBook, if all you needed were USB-C cables – and maybe you could just use the same charger, just charge your phone overnight, then leave your iPad Pro plugged in in your hotel room during the day and plug the MacBook in when you need it. You know, that's great. I see the appeal of that, right? That would really simplify the world in a, in a, in a way that you could just have it. And maybe you're a nerd and you carry, you, you try out Android phones throughout the year too. You know, the, the more devices you use, the more that appeals to you as a nerd. But normal people, hated when Apple switched from the 30 pin to lightning. They hated it, hated it. And everybody chalked it up to, or not, you know, everybody in the normal world chalked it up to Apple did this to get everybody to buy the $30 lightning cables that they, it was a money grab. 
And if they switched to USB-C, even though in the nerd world, they would say they would, they would praise Apple for switching to the industry standard, the hundreds of millions of regular iPhone users out there who don't, you know, already have lightning cables around their house and everywhere they need for their phone would see it as a money grab that Apple's trying to get, even though you, we know you can buy USB-C cables from anywhere, anybody, they would chalk this up to, you know, they would complain about it. I can't tell you how many people in my family bitched to me when Apple switched to lightning. And I would say, don't you see how much more elegant it is? That 30 pin cable was gross and ugly. (laughs) It was so bad. But they didn't see it that way. All they saw it was that the cables they already owned and the, the stands they already had or whatever uh, didn't work with their new phone. And they had to throw them out. Or uh, like uh, people who like uh, uh, like a married couple where somebody gets the new iPhone one year and the other spouse has the old iPhone. Now they need two cables. People hate that. I cannot – the number of people who would hate – hate a change to USB-C on a new iPhone vastly, I would say 10 times outweighs the number of people who would, who would be happy about it. And I realize that there's people, nerds who are listening to me say this and they're, they're, they're getting angry at me because they don't believe it. But I'm telling you in the real world, it's true. Yeah. Change is hard, man. Uh, Although I did pick up one of those 30 pin cords this week and (laughs) i'm glad we're not using those right now (laughs) it's it's sort of ludicrous looking when you really think about it it's really they really were i mean it was it seemed like a breakthrough at the time but yeah at the time compared to a scuzzy pin or something like that right but but they're and they were like sharp (laughs) yeah uh clips in there keep it keep it in yeah anything else on the iphones that we expect next week no, I just every time the the iPhone naming comes up, I just yeah. I always think back to the iPhone math and laugh my ass off. Remember that one? That <laughs> was like a terrible supply chain rumor that there was oh. going to be an iPhone <laughs> called the iPhone Math. Yes, I, <laughs> I haven't thought about that in years. Which I I think about all the time. I think it ended up being the plus maybe or something like that. So maybe someone saw a plus sign or the yeah. word plus. And <laughs> maybe I never thought, thought of that. Math. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, maybe, or, maybe this will be the year that iPhone math. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That actually is a very logical explanation that they saw the plus sign, and it's some kind of mistranslation from Chinese to English turned it into math because <laughs> it was plus. Maybe I don't know. I love it though. <laughs> I, w- I want something like that again. That's uh, I don't want I will not devolve into politics, but it, it, there's somebody on Twitter, you know, with this thing with Trump being obsessed with uh, his his statement five days ago that Alabama was in the path of the hurricane, uh, what, Dorian? Yeah. Uh, and that he spent the last five days defending it and trying to make up the... Right. Somebody on Twitter conjectured that what happened was that the thing that he saw said Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and all Bahamas... <laughs> And then he saw all Bahamas and read it as Alabama. And I think that's so possible. I think that is so possibly where this whole thing came from. And that's and why he's convinced that he really that was told awesome. it. He's really told that really was told that Alabama was, was in the path of the hurricane. I love it. All Bahamas. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> uh uh 
Yeah, I don't have anything else on the iPhone. I'm interested. I, you know, I think mostly it'll be, uh, you know. Do you uh, do you think that they'll change the upgrade program at all, either to uh, include it in some of the bundles that they're doing, and or make it exclusive for the uh, Apple Card, or do you think that they'll just kind of stick with it? In other words, would they do some kind of like? For lack of a better word, Apple Prime, let's just say. I don't think they would call it that because Al, uh, Amazon so owns it. But for lack of yeah. – to avoid trying to think of a better name, let's just call it Apple Prime. There, a whole bunch of Daring Fireball readers and talk show listeners have emailed me So uh, with this idea. You sign up. You pay Apple, I don't know, uh, X hundred dollars a year and you get all of it. You get all of their subscription stuff, the TV Plus and the uh, – the news, you get Apple Music, you get Apple Arcade, and you get into some kind of uh, upgrade program for the iPhone. You know, which and they have that already. There is the upgrade program, right? And that's what I was curious about right. is that specifically that upgrade program, right. but the other the other bundle too. I mean, that's that's a good question as well. I I wonder. I like I see the appeal of it where and and I there's definitely, you know, in terms of people who've emailed me, there's definitely people out there who are interested in it. And I know I know firsthand from friends that uh, a lot of friends I have use the upgrade program to get a new phone every year. Um I mean there's three strategies if you want a new phone every year, which I and number one, you're a, you're an oddball if you want a new iPhone every year because normal people buy them and keep them now for you longer and longer terms than ever because they're they're still so useful longer than ever um but i buy one every year i do um and i'm i do the dumbest thing possible which is i keep all of my old ones so that i can just say that i have them all uh which is financially ridiculously stupid um the, the other thing that i know a lot of people do is they if they buy a new phone every year they just buy it pay for it up front and then when the new one comes out they sell the old one and typically if it's in good condition or very good condition it, it still has an awful lot of value like a year old iPhone 10s probably that might have sold for around a thousand dollars you could you might be able to sell for 600 500 600 dollars um, and so you're not paying a thousand dollars a year to get a new iPhone top of the line you're only paying like five four or five hundred dollars a year I mean, but I do know a lot of people who use the upgrade program, and I, I don't even know how that works because I want to keep my old ones. But could they combine it with media subscriptions? I, I, I honestly don't even know. I don't know if they would want to. I don't know if they don't want to cross streams on hardware sales and subscriptions. Clearly, I mean, one of the things they didn't mention at the media event in March was that any kind of – they didn't even mention the idea of a bundle – let you know, leaving aside that they didn't tell us how much a lot of this these things would cost. They didn't tell us what arcade's going to cost. They didn't mention what TV Plus is going to cost. Uh, it, it, clearly, they should have a bundle, right? For just for the subscriptions alone, could they have a level of the bundle that includes the upgrade? They could, and I think it would appeal to some people. But I don't know if they would want to cross streams on that. I don't know how, and if that's like some kind of accounting problem, I don't know. What do you think? And Apple Card I, only, that's another thing that people are conjecturing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, probably not this year for that. Although it's interesting how much they've been advertising the Apple Card. And uh, I saw it on 
on baseball game yesterday. I've seen Twitter ads for it. Uh, they're really going. I haven't full, seen it on a baseball game yet, but maybe that's because I, I only watch. Do you watch on the MLB TV or? Do yeah, you, that's where I was watching. Huh. Well, maybe yeah. I'll start seeing them soon. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, I. I mean, I, I. I assume they they're doing this to make it a truly mainstream thing, and it really has the possibility, if you think about it, to become like the single most popular credit card in America, just by virtue of how fragmented that market is. Um, but anyway, uh, the bundle thing, I mean, that was definitely one of the things that I thought about when we were sitting there in, in March was, wow, they, A, they haven't given the prices for a bunch of these things. And B, you know, is everyone just going to have to pick and choose which one of these things they get, or are they going to do a big bundle? Um, I think that the products are kind of different enough that a bundle doesn't really make a ton of sense. Um, you know, the person who wants arcade games and the person who wants magazine content is probably not the same person. Um, maybe that is a reason to make them right. like to, to incentivize them with, with a discount. Like but, m- music has the broadest appeal, right? I mean, cause I don't know what percentage of people who own Apple products like listening to music, but surely it's as high as, almost anything you could say people subscribe to right i i i don't know it just seems like music is it's like a universal thing right and so right well so will apple music and apple tv plus get some sort of bundle opportunity maybe maybe the answer is no we make things easy enough to sign up for that you know we don't we don't need whatever mechanics come with the bundle to to make to make it work um but you know there there's also this bigger idea of an you know an overall like apple plus or whatever you would call it that not obviously i agree with you not, they're not going to use the word prime um but something that gets you all this stuff and you know and that's the question you know and and the new iphone every year yeah. i don't i don't know um We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, the other the the other one that stands out is the, and I don't want to go too long on it, but because we'll find out. I think Tuesday. I do think that the services stuff is going to be a big part of the 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 event. Is the one that people are conjecturing about is the fact that TV Plus, which is Apple's original content, just how are they going to you know how could they sell it for ten dollars a month if Disney is selling a thing for eight dollars a month that has the entire Disney library and Apple says here you will charge you ten dollars a month and we've got we're starting with five shows. <laughs> I get that. Uh, and no content library either. Uh, right. Right. With no content library. Right. Which is like, you know, the, well, Disney owns a, a massive content library. Netflix, by this time, Netflix has so much original content with comedy specials and original shows that they do, they own a, a, a big content library and they pay to get stuff you know they had friends for a long time etc etc all sorts of stuff and hbo has all these movies and stuff that aren't original to them apple plot tv plus isn't going to have that i feel like there's got to be something more to tv plus in terms of how apple is going to sell it than just ten dollars a month and you get our shows and that's it they could do that i guess and just say we're that's how confident we are and that these shows are good that we're charging this premium compared to everybody else but i think there's more to it and tv plus to me is the one that really seems like it could go a long way by them just saying hey if you're an apple music subscriber you get tv plus you've already got it 
just you don't have to do anything. If, you know, these these shows, the the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell, it's coming out. It's debuting in October. And if you're an Apple Music subscriber, you've already got it. I don't know if that's what they're going to do. And I know, you know, that, and just use it as a way to drive Apple music subscriptions. Right. Uh, I don't know. There's got to be something more to it with that. And it had, I think there has to be some kind of, bond. right. They they can't just, I mean, they, they can do whatever they want, but right. it, it's a hard sell to say, Hey, it's 10 bucks a month. And we have these three shows for you to watch. Right. And sorry, we just lost two of them too. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, It'll be interesting. I think that's one of the. I think that's one of the parts that we know the least about. Right. Uh, there was a rumor though that the Apple Arcade is only going to be, th- and you know, this was uncovered by uh, Guy Rambo, the hacker extraordinaire who writes at Nine to Five Mac, and somehow got pre-release access to the to the internal version of Apple Arcade that's being tested by Apple employees. And once he got his hands on that, poked around the APIs, uh, and it's by poking at those APIs and getting responses, he. You know, at least at the time he was poking around, it seemed like it was going to cost four ninety nine a month to subscribe. Um, and I think everybody was thinking it every you know that they said, "Hey, Apple News is ten bucks a month," and uh, everybody and and they they tend everybody tends to think, and you know, it, for good reason that Apple, you know, whatever you think Apple's going to charge for something, <laughs> double it, and maybe that's right. But sometimes they surprise us. Remember the original iPad? Everybody thought was going to be nine hundred ninety nine dollars, and everybody thought, yeah, that sounds about right. They'll charge a thousand dollars for this amazing tablet, and then it debuted at four, you know, started at four ninety nine. It was half the price, you know. So sometimes they surprise us. I think the idea that Apple Arcade might only be five dollars a month would, and the response I saw to that like on Twitter and from readers was, wow, that's great. I was on the fence about it, but if it's only $5 a month, count me in, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the overall, Hey, even if you want to subscribe to everything, it's not going to cost as much as you're worried. They're not going to charge you $50 a month for all of it. Yeah, that would, that would be a huge splash. I mean, I think that would definitely take the steam out of a lot of the games that are not in there. So that yeah. could be interesting. Yeah. The one and the one I always wonder too about is iCloud, which continues to Ugh. stay the same price, but right. not get <laughs> more compelling. Yeah. Uh, I got. I hope they. I don't know. I think they would have said it at WWDC, but boy, I don't know. I, I would love. I just would love to see them get make it more of a no brainer for people to upgrade their iCloud storage so that they can upgrade. You know, back up their devices and have the massive photo library backed up in the cloud without without concern but anyway we'll see i wonder if that because you still can't back up a mac to icloud right no. i wonder if that's i wonder if that's like next next year's yeah. mac os and yeah. icloud update i don't know who knows yeah. uh apple watch i everybody for good reason presumes we'll see series five apple watches um one of the rumors is that the, it, a new feature is going to be sleep tracking, but it's not clear to me whether the sleep tracking is going to be for the new Series 5 watch or if it's going to be a, in the OS and available to uh, to people who already own watches. You can already – there are a bunch of good sleep tracking apps that use the Apple Watch. It, you know, It's just not built into the system software that comes with the watch, but – there's all sorts of good third-party watches or watch apps for sleep tracking, which I've been using for a couple of months now since I talked about it on the show with Merlin. Man, uh, so we'll see how that goes. But the bigger news, I guess, is on the hardware front that the idea that there's going to be titanium and ceramic options for the watch. 
I used a uh, after your after your show. I used the sleep tracker once, and uh, it told me my sleep sucked, so I stopped using it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably why you're supposed to use it, though, right? <laughs> I guess I don't know. Uh, I, I started using it. I don't want to go too far into it, but it was a couple months ago, and Merlin Mann was on the show, and I was under the weather. I had some kind of bug, and I was sleeping really poorly. Uh, now I'm back to normal. But it is interesting. I do sleep now that I have the tracker. I find that I sleep differently than I expected. I sleep a little bit less than I've always thought I did, but uh, also it varies day by day. Like if So if I get less sleep than usual, if I only sleep seven hours, uh, I often sleep like 10 hours the next night if I can. But on average, it's about nine hours a night. Yeah, that's nice. That's good, man. Yeah, uh, indie publisher lifestyle. Love yeah, it. <laughs> titanium ceramic. They already had the ceramic edition watches from a couple years ago, and then there weren't any last year. Now the rumor is they're coming back uh, along with titanium. Titanium is a very interesting material for a watch. I know some people are skeptical about it because way back, what in two thousand two or whenever, when the titanium g4 power books came out the titanium flaked after usage especially like didn't do very well on the palm rest part with some people's you know the secretions from your hands um uh i think apple's material engineering has come a very long way since then and just knowing what i know about the the watch world titanium is an excellent material for watches and in, in watch grade titanium they could color it and it wouldn't be a, something that would flake off. It would be baked into the material. Uh, and that the big difference between one of the big differences between titanium and stainless steel is that titanium is significantly lighter. Um, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I'm curious how they're going to fall price point wise. Presumably titanium and ceramic, especially ceramic would both be more expensive than the stainless steel ones. We shall see. Yeah, I, th- I think it's smart what they're doing with the – my guess is the case design probably doesn't change this year. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't I think so because I, I, yeah. it changed subtly with Series 4 last year and it got a little closer to the wrist and they increased the size of the display to go edge to edge. But for the most part, like I, when you pass somebody on the street, I I can't tell if it's a Series 4 or Series 3, 2, 1. It's, you know, at arm's distance, it's it's just the iconic Apple Watch – round wrecked shape so i don't think it would change again yeah probably not i mean it's you know obviously uh you could always you always want it to be thinner but it's totally fine and um my guess is that so if the if the differences are mostly cosmetic or the material do the does the processor get faster and that sort of stuff change too you think yeah oh yeah i i I think battery life yeah I definitely, I, I think that team and there's so much headroom to gain. Like I, every single year, eventually, you know, like, uh, like I don't expect the new iPhones to be significantly faster than last year's iPhones. Like the iPhone a series chips have, you know, I, you know, it'd be like 10, 13%. Somebody's had a, a leaked benchmark that, uh, from Geekbench that was supposedly maybe the new 10 R, um, and it was like 13% faster or something like that. And a, and on multi, multi-threaded, multi it was about the same. Um, it's, it's just you run – you know, you can't keep making them 50% faster every year. You run into the, you know, the laws of physics. But the watch processors are getting faster and faster every year. So I'm sure it will be faster and have longer battery life, et cetera. 
What about the rumor of uh, a tiled tracking dingus? Something like a little – there's this rumor that they're going to come out with some kind of little things that you could like put one in your wallet and then you can find your wallet from the Find My whatever app. I love it um, because – and actually when they announced the, the new Find My Mac thing that used that kind of uh, – the, like the point-to-point mesh network, so that even oh. when your Mac is offline, yeah, um, my I immediate my mind immediately jumped to that rumor of the tile thing, and I'm like, oh, is that how they're going to get the tile to you know to work when it's theoretically offline? I I, I can't imagine it would have an LTE connection to it. Right. So yeah, um, I anyway, have I, think, uh, I have tile trackers. I got them for Christmas a few years ago. Uh, I never really used them. I keep one in my backpack. And so I can find, you know, but I don't, I've never lost my backpack. <laughs> they, they, to me, they weren't quite small enough and it wasn't quite convenient enough. Um, so I didn't put one on my keys or anything. Uh, Famous uh, last words. I don't really lose stuff. So I, but I have a dog who's small and likes to escape. So I'm really excited for him to have one of these. Um, that would be a but, cool, that would be a cool use case. I never, I didn't even think about that. You know what I lose? I lose things that I can't possibly put a tracker on like, uh, my pen. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> it, um, it's like one of the ways that I'm slightly obsessive is I, 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 I swear by these pens, uh, zebra sarasas gel pens. They cost like three bucks each. They're very nice gel pens, but they're like three bucks each. But I and I, you know, and I have a drawer full of them here. I, I've already got. I have dozens of them. But I like to get one and use it for a long time, like years. And and I'll just and I'll replace the ink cartridge. And if I lose my current pen, it, rather than do what I should do, is just go get a new one out of the drawer. Uh, <laughs> I'll spend an hour searching the house for it because I want to know yeah. where it is. Where is it? Uh, but anyway, I'm still interested what Apple's angle on this because it seems like such an odd thing for Apple to get into that I would think the only reason they would do it is if it's really compelling. So, you know, it reminds me of the the AA battery charger. Yeah. It's like, you know what? These things are out there, but we think we can do them 10 times better. And yeah. it fits into the software, which, by the way, will keep people, you know, if, if it – if it works once, it's paid for itself, right? Yeah. And if you know, if you got twelve things tagged in your house, uh, then I guess you're sticking with the iPhone and yeah. not, and not going to a, to a Google Pixel or something like that. Yeah, so. and you know, and it's got to, have, you know, it, conceivably it has to be some kind of thing where it it wouldn't just tell you like if I do find my iPhone, like where the hell's my phone. Um, it doesn't tell me where it is in my house. It doesn't say it's in your bedroom, dummy. It just says, hey, it's in your house, right? Like presumably with these tags, it you know, if, if you're going to find your keys, it's not good enough to tell you it's in your house. It has, to, it has to help you find it, you know, in your couch cushions or wherever it actually is. So I don't know how that'll work, but. Well, we that's where – so the, there's the AR mode that right, supposedly right. leaked and if like maybe you can look and it will right. show up in your couch cushion, that would be like a killer demo if they could do that. Right. Yeah, that seems like a cool thing. So in other words, you go to the Find My app and you say Find My Keys and then it says like just hold this up and it switches to an AR mode and it, and it points an arrow towards your kitchen and you're like, oh, yeah, I left them on the kitchen counter. Of course. I remember now. I put them down when I was putting uh, – you know, cream in my coffee or whatever. Um, 
that would be really cool. And it would definitely be. I can, and Apple is so uh, almost inexplicably all in on AR that you can definitely see them demoing the hell out of it on stage. Yeah. Cool. And ag- again, you know, this is the kind of thing where they could probably sell them at a super high margin. You'll probably end up accidentally spending a few hundred dollars on them over the course of a couple of years. Right. It keeps you locked into the ecosystem. It keeps you using the Find My app. And, right. um, you know, it's not like they're, it's not like you're, it's not like that money was going to go anywhere else on their stuff. You're yeah. not going to buy them instead of buying an iPad. Yeah. Um, and it's cool. So why not do it? Yeah. And one of the things that I think Apple doesn't get enough credit for is their uh, industry leading prowess at making really, really small gadgets. Um, I know Serenity Caldwell before she left and joined Apple wrote about it extensively, like on an annual basis is, is why don't other smartwatch makers make watches that are meant to fit on women's smaller wrists? Um, and I don't think it's because they don't want they don't care about the market. I think that Apple is so much better at making tiny, small wrist computers that really only Apple is able to make them at the thirty eight millimeter size and still have reasonable battery life and all the same functionality and performance. AirPods are tiny. And I know there's other competing ones now, but there's a reason that Apple came out with the first really great, tiny, not connected to each other by a wire under your chin or behind your neck wireless air ear pods is that they're really, really good at making tiny little computers that could fit in something the size of an AirPod. So I think Apple's tile could be remarkably small and very, very effective. Um, because I think they're really, really good at that. Which is why I haven't used the tile I got for free. It's just too big, right? Yeah. That's what I thought too. It was too big for too many cases. And it would have, I carry so few keys typically that it would have been like the, it would have been bigger than the rest, everything else I carry. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Uh, here's a question I got on Twitter right before we started recording. I think it's fascinating. Per the event itself, will Johnny Ive be in attendance? I think, yeah. He still works there. so I think so, too. Uh, I think he'll be there for years to come, actually. I think. Ah, interesting. Uh, but it's a good question. And I, th- I, would, uh, I would read into it if he weren't there. And it would my interpretation, and I don't know how we'll know if he's there. I mean, because it's you know it's not like he's going to be on stage. But typically, you know, I don't know how often he well, shows up, like on the feed, just when they show the audience and stuff like that. Um, he's usually somebody, in the front row. He shows up in the no. Feed he's usually or, in the second row. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, you know better than me. Yeah, because I've had I've sat up close a couple times. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say always, but because uh, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't necessarily sit where I can see him every time, but at least every time I have seen him, he's, um, he's in the second row usually. But the one thing that's very consistent is for like the last 10 years, every single time I've seen him in an Apple event, he is seated right next to, uh, Laureen Powell. Oh yes. Um, uh, Steve Jobs's wife. Um, uh, every time. I have, uh, and the only time I can't, I, the only time I would say that I didn't see him seated next to her is because I didn't, I wasn't close enough to tell. And I, interesting. Uh, I think and, they're friends. Oh, they're, I think they're dear friends. I, I really do. I think that's why he sits next to her. I think, and I, I, I think that they are genuinely close, very, very close. Um, and for the same reason that she keeps attending events is the same reason I think Johnny Ive might still keep 
attending events is because in some sense, whether he works there or not, there's, there's so almost like a familial, uh, um, relationship. You know, I see Bertrand Serlet at the events still year after year. I'm again, I don't know if he goes to every one, but I've, I've seen him at them frequently and he hasn't worked at Apple since, I don't know, 2006. Um, there are a lot, you know, people who leave on good terms, uh, you know, Scott Forstall doesn't show up at the events, <laughs> but people who leave on their own terms, uh, often keep coming back, you know, just because it's, it's just part of the culture of being at Apple that they really, the people who, the executives who, who are there, they, they really do love these events. So I, I, my guess is he will, and I would read into it if he wasn't. Do you think he'll keep bringing his pals who fly in from overseas and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, probably. He could probably bring as many people as he wants. A bunch of the random guys I follow from Tokyo are <laughs> are frequent guests of, of Johnny Ive at the, uh, at the Apple event. Hmm. It's always funny. Uh, hey, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor, uh, one of my favorite products, uh, Hello, H-U-L-L-O. Have you ever tried a buckwheat pillow? They're totally different than the fluffy soft pillows most of us are used to. It's very similar to a beanbag. And it allows you to adjust its shape and thickness. You might think that's weird. A beanbag as a pillow, it is totally different. It's so much heavier because it's like a beanbag. Uh, but it really works. It supports your head and neck how you want to, unlike a traditional squishy soft pillow. They stay cool and dry compared to pillows filled with feathers or foam. And most pillows absorb and retain body heat and moisture, making your pillow feel warm and humid. Buckwheat tends to breathe better. No more waking up in the middle of the night just to flip your pillow to the other side to get the cool side. Hello, pillows stay cool on the same side. Uh, they've sent me a couple. Uh, we use them all the time. I've said this before. My wife and son in particular love theirs so much that when we travel and we stay in a hotel for a week or something like that, like the number one thing, one of the first things they love about getting home is that they love going back to their hello pillows. Um, People love it. You can go to their website, check out the reviews written by their customers. Uh, it solves all sorts of problems. The heat, the cool thing, uh, the I, you know, the using two pillows or folding a pillow to get your to get your the support you want. Uh, one hello pillow is enough that you could prop it up the way you want. You can lay it flatter, smooth it out. You can prop it up. It's it's really interesting, and you can even just simply open it up. It's a simple zippered opening. You can add more. If you want it puffier, you can take some out if you want it flatter. It's very, very simple to adjust that way. People have been sleeping on buckwheat pillows for centuries. It's a much bigger deal in Asia, particularly in Japan. It's just in the West where it's sort of a novelty. And it's just a very natural way to sleep. They're made right here in the USA with quality construction and materials. They're certified organic cotton. Case is cut and sewn for durability. And the buckwheat is grown and milled in the United States. You get to sleep on it for 60 nights. And if it's not for you, you can send it back and they will give you a full refund. You can't lose. So here's where you go to find out more. Hello pillow, H U L L O P I L L O W.com slash talk show. Hello pillow.com slash talk show. And if you try more than one pillow, you'll get a discount of up to 20 bucks per pillow, depending on the size. Fast free shipping on every order, and 1% of all profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Go to hellopillow.com slash talk show, and my thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Uh, how about long-term iPhone rumors? Touch ID is coming back, supposedly, with in an in-screen sensor, in addition to Face ID, 
and a new yeah, S- what do you think about that that's it's a little weird to me, and I'm a Face ID believer. And one of the rumors this year about the new phones is that the Face ID system is going to improve such that it's going to have a much wider angle, in particular to solve the problem of, of waking up your phone when it's face up flat on a table. Um, hmm. And it's funny because when that leaked a couple of weeks ago, it was literally the day after uh, my family had gone to eat at a restaurant and my wife was complaining, complaining in particular about that because at the restaurant she had her phone on the table and she even said the one thing i hate about this is that i can't look at my phone just you know the way i could with the old one with you know by putting my finger on it when it's on the table um so it'd be cool if they solve that by having a wider angle um but other than you know making face id work even better i can't see why i would want touch id again some people, when it's linked to this the other day, said that the one thing they still hate about Face ID is using it with uh, Apple Pay, that they hate the double-click the side button and that they feel that's awkward and feel that that's the w- one thing that was better with Touch ID, that you just put your finger on the phone and get it near the NFC reader and beep, you're in. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know. I wonder if there's more to it than... Than yeah. just what we have historically used yeah. Touch ID and Face ID for. Um, if it, you know, it could be part of a um, a more sophisticated authentication scheme for two factor or something like that. Yeah. Or I don't know something. I mean, something if, seems weird. I mean, I, I guess if you're if you're daisy chaining those two technologies together, like there's it's a, just more zero percent. Yeah, totally. But on the other hand, it's also more setup, right? Because now when you get a new phone or you restore your phone from the factory settings or whatever, now you've got two things to set up, right? And I've done it enough. Like I've just reset an old iPad to run the beta on. And it's like touch ID, even with like iOS 13, still it takes significantly longer to set up than face ID. Like the face ID is remarkably quick where you just move your head in a circle and then they're like, do it again. And they're like, okay, you're good. And it's like, really? That was it? Like touch ID, it's like your touch, touch, touch. And then they're like, change your grip. And it's like, okay, touch, touch, touch. And you're in. I'm not going to say it was, it touch ID takes too long, but it, Everything you have to do, you know, there's enough stuff going on in that you have you you're setting up a new iPhone first run experience that adding another one seems like I don't know, not that great. And is the extra security worth that much? I don't know. I like you yes. said, I think there if this is there's truth to this and the rumors, you know, the German rumor puts it at maybe for next year's phones but maybe not till 2021. And there was some other analyst uh, who I just linked to last night who who put out a report back in May uh, pretty much saying the same two things German reported yesterday, which is that uh, Touch ID is coming back possibly in a sensor that would work on the whole screen. So you wouldn't even have to put it on like a circle at the bottom. You could just put your finger anywhere on the screen. Um, and this other rumor that there's going to be a new SE, small, cheap, smaller cheaper iphone coming in march like the se did back in 2016 i mean maybe if this is part of like okay they get rid of the notch and the selfie camera is so small that um that a lot of the other stuff that they put in there to do face id no longer fits uh and that you know the, the camera itself is less secure than the old infrared camera but it 
when it matches up with touch ID is secure. I don't know. Now I'm just making stuff up, yeah. but it, it, it there's gotta be something more to it. I think. Yeah. I, I sort of do too. Um, but it's interesting. I don't know. And you know, is, is there anybody, you know, like in the real world now that we're two years into the face ID era, um, you know, at least two years as of next week, it'll be two years since the iPhone 10 was announced. Um, and you know, everybody, you know, like when touch ID first came out and it's good that people tested it, you know, but people figured out that, you know, there's, there's technically a way that if somebody made a perfect print of your finger and, you know, did like a little mission impossible thing to put a, a Silicon fake copy of your fingerprint, they could get into your touch ID. Um, and people did testing two years ago where they'd find identical twins and see if they could get into their face ID. And I remember there was a story where some teenage boy could unlock his mom's, you know, he looked enough like his own mother that he could unlock her phone with his face. Um, you know, and Apple warned that, you know, it's twins are definitely a problem. Siblings might, you know, like if you have two teenagers, you know, like an, a 12 year old and a 14 year old, and they're both, you know, the same gender, they might, they might be able to unlock each other's phones. Um, but overall, Apple touted the fact that it was face ID is way more like significant. I forget the exact numbers Phil Schiller said on stage, but it wasn't like a little bit more secure. It was like one in 50,000 people could unlock a touch ID device. And it was like one in a million for face ID. Presumably if they use, if they use both, it would be 50,000 times a million. I don't know. The thing I the thing I worry more about, and we saw this week what what it what, what can happen is the SIM card swapping with Jack Dorsey and mm. this. I don't, I'm not sure if you've been SIM swapped yet, but no, I, I was not. this summer. And oh, really? Let me tell you, it's not fun. Really? Tell me how that happened. Um, well, I was living in Paris for a few months and still had my U.S. phone and woke up and I had just read an article about a guy who had, uh, who had been SIM swapped and got a hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin stolen from him. Oh man. So I was already, that, I was that's already like, paranoid that's like, about That's it. like losing cash because it's not, you know, there's, you can't go and get a refund or whatever. Exactly. And so I was already worried about it. I don't have any Bitcoin. So, you know, uh, but it still, it still was not fun. Um, and I had written a, a post about crypto. So I wonder if that's how someone, I don't know. I'm, I'm even reluctant to even talk much about it, but, uh, and I haven't tweeted about it or anything, but I, I'll talk a little bit about it here because it happened. Um, Anyway, I woke up one morning already paranoid about this SIM swapping stuff and um you know, I had to get up at 6 for a flight and I noticed that my network connection had been turned off, which was weird. Um and I had gotten a text overnight from my carrier saying, "Uh your your SIM card has been changed. Let us know if if this isn't you or something like that." Yeah. And I was like, Oh shit! I don't have time for this right now. I have to go to the airport. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I immediately grabbed my wife's phone and called my carrier and said, "You idiots!" Um, and it's I'm so frustrated because I I proactively reached out to them and said, "Hey, I'm really worried about this. Will you make sure that my account is locked down?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure. No, no worries, no worries." And they still did it. Uh, it still got hacked and. 
they haven't conclusively told me why. Um, you know, they're they're if you look at most of these things, it's it's someone in goes into a store and you know, my hunch is that it's someone who works at a store is you know, gets a list from a friend mm. of ten accounts that they want turned over yeah. or something like that. And it may not even be a an owned and operated store. It might be one of those third party stores which seem even sketchier. Um But they've got and, access to like they've got access to the ability like if if it's a store with uh, Carrier, I, 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 you're. Let's not name any particular carrier, I guess. But yeah. Carrier X, if if they, you can get a Carrier X SIM card there, that the just the retail clerk can like go in there and type a phone number and print a new SIM card and say, okay, that number is now on this card. I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're or, supposed to ask all sorts of questions and verify it, but they could just, they're, you know, they don't really check have check ID, all that stuff, right. and that's why I didn't. That's what I'd love to know. Like, did someone? make a fake ID with my name on it? Or do they just have a friend who works at one of those stores, you know, wherever yeah. and said, Hey, let's swap these 10 numbers. Um, did they look me up because I'd written about Bitcoin or it was totally random? I don't know. Um, or was, you know, was I in one of the, did they have a password of mine from a yeah. previous um, hack of some sort? of you know whatever system i i had i don't know and i'm not sure if there's even a way to find out uh for any of them but at any rate um i got my number back within you know 5 minutes of calling them and it had only been compromised for a few hours Did but they, were you able to get it back on the card you already had in your phone yes so you didn't have to like go you did give me your empire so you can't go to a us carrier so wow that's exactly that's, that's pretty smooth that it worked that well for you it worked pretty well. However, I then – and I made my flight. <laughs> um, but then I spent the rest of the week in an absolute just state of paranoia right. looking at my at my bars every five minutes like, oh, did I lose signal again? Did I lose signal? Right. Um, well, and weren't you and, also weren't you also worried like which – have any of my accounts been compromised because maybe they were using the phone number as the second factor or something like that? Bingo. And in fact, the first thing they had done is try to – uh, get into my two-factor account um, hmm. because that you can look up the texts that your number has received, oh. um, and one of them was from uh, the two-factor service I use, and so they were able to at least see the accounts that I have two-factor for, but they didn't know my password for that, so they hmm. didn't actually get to decrypt them. Um, but my my guess is that they were looking for Coinbase or something like that, and I. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any Bitcoin, so don't, <laughs> don't rob me. <laughs> don't even try. There's nothing there. I promise. Um, but it was crazy. But w what I did do then is a full security audit and, um, and there's some really great guides on, I think the one I found was on medium of like ways that you can really lock down your, your accounts, um, you know, including like taking your phone number off of your Google account and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and doing clever things with Google voice. So I'm, you know, I, it, it sucked and it was more an emotional thing than anything else. Like I, I did get to see that, you know, the texts, I, I didn't get to see the content of the text messages they received, but I knew, yeah. I knew that there weren't a lot and that they were not you know, none of my actual accounts had been compromised and I'm thankful for that. But, and I, I'm, I, I, this has happened to a, like a dozen of people I know this summer hmm. and it's crazy. It's just an epidemic. And I don't think the carriers 
are doing enough about it. No, it's, it's and really it's just nuts. so, and it's such an important part of your ID. It, and there's so many places default to using your cell phone as your second factor. Uh, I'm often have very lazy about such things, and I was late to do two factor on lots of things. But um, I over the last two years, I've I've cleaned up my act a lot, and one of the things. Um, my friend, Mac J. Siglowski, the guy who, the pinboard guy, uh, is really, he's so smart about it and he's really good at explaining it. And he's, he's spent a lot of time talking to, um, uh, people running for Congress. Like he ran a thing that I supported last year called the great slate, which is trying to get Democrats elected in Republican districts, you know, around the, like 10, 10 great candidates around the country, um, and in addition to like fundraising and trying to help them and stuff, he, he had like a whole guide to what campaigns should do for information security, you know, and, and one of the big things is don't use your, don't put your cell phone number on your Google account. Um, do use Gmail that Gmail is very secure and Google has very good security stuff, but don't even give them, don't even give Google your phone number. Use something else like Google authenticator, which has third party options, but then you get these one-time codes and stuff because your SIM card is just cannot be defended. It really is, is dangerous. And the same thing that you just said, like using, if you do have to use a phone number, use a Google voice number, which you can use and you can get text messages too. And then it's all that your Google voice number is as protected as your Google account and there's no SIM card that they can hack to change the number or something like that. So they could, they can't take over your Google voice number unless they take over your Google account and they can't, you know, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, scary yeah, times. Glad make, it worked just out make it me. hard, yeah. make it complicated. And yeah, it, I mean, again, lucky that nothing, you know, was compromised, um, that I, that I know of, but, yeah. um, it was, there were three or four days there where that's yeah. basically all I was thinking about. So Depending, everyone be careful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, oh, why I started talking about this. I wish that was something that Apple could do something about yeah. with the phone. And that's why I had high hopes for eSIM. Although, you know, when you think about it, eSIM doesn't actually make it that mm-hmm. much harder for them to actually Cause the port sim, out your the number. The SIMs are still assigned by the carriers. Yeah. Right. Um, but man, it's been what a year now, and eSIM really doesn't seem like much has happened with it. Um, you know, especially this summer, I was traveling a lot, and you know, the carriers that had it, they would they were they would have it for one of their types of accounts, but not others. Uh, a lot of times, they wouldn't support it for prepaid, so it's yeah. not like you could go into a, a Vodafone right. shop in London and get an eSIM second line as your prepaid account there. Um, it, I wonder if they'll talk about eSIM at all for the for the iPhone, but I really wish actually the the full hardware dual SIM seemed like it it's actually still more yeah. uh, more useful than having the the eSIM. Yeah, uh, it's no good. eSIM is no good for me. I figured out because as somebody who reviews iPhones and also sometimes Android or at least tries Android phones and maybe wants to try using my main number with them. But especially with just using several iPhones a year based on getting review units, um, just being able to pop out an actual SIM card and pop it into another phone is is just – I, I kind of need it. But for most people, the eSIM thing should be better. But I wish it were more secure. Anyway, it's not secure. If you're out there, don't use your phone number as uh, 
your cell phone number is second factor. It's really dangerous. Yeah, that's the main thing. You know, and if you have to use a phone number, get a Google Voice number. And you know, it's just and and if you run a service that that requires a phone number as a second factor, uh, push your push the people at your service to to support something like. Uh, Google Authenticator and Authy and those things that give you these one-time codes and stuff like that. Anything other than phone numbers. Uh, all right, let me take another break right here, and I'll thank our third and final sponsor of the show, our good friends at Eero, E-E-R-O. Eero blankets your whole home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi, eliminating poor coverage, dead spots, and buffering. Give you a consistently strong signal wherever you need it. How do they do it? It's by not trying to do the whole thing with one box. That somehow, supposedly, could go through walls upstairs and fill your entire house with a strong Wi-Fi signal. What Eero does is use multiple devices. You get one main one, plugs right into your cable modem, and then you set up a couple of others around the house. And they've got all sorts of great stuff at their website that will help you figure out how many you need based on the size and shape of your house. Obviously, if you've got like a two-room apartment, two might be great. If you have a large four-story house, you might need three, four They'll help you out. It's very easy. Um, and you manage it. You don't have to do any sort of complicated stuff or network. It's not like you're a network engineer trying to get, oh, I want to I add a third one. Uh, what do I have to do? Type in IP addresses and do this and do that. No, nothing like that. You manage it all from a dead, simple app on your phone, and it lets you uh, uh, do everything from set up new devices to do something like pause the Wi-Fi for dinner or get alerts if new devices attempt to join your network, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, anyway, the long, long story short, you wind up with a strong Wi-Fi signal throughout your entire house. So no more dead spot in the master bedroom just because it's on the third or fourth floor or something like that. Uh, really great. You're hearing me talk right now to you, to Dan Fromer over in your network. Love it. Really strong signal. Um, I, I I really love the product. I've been using it for years. Go to eero.com slash the talk show and enter the code the talk show at checkout and you will get free overnight shipping on your order. So you could pause this podcast right now. Go and place your order at eero.com slash the talk show and it'll be in your hands tomorrow for free. The shipping at least. Uh, that's eero.com slash the talk show with code the talk show at checkout to get free overnight shipping. And you must use this URL to receive the offer eero.com slash the talk show. My thanks to them. Uh, I, I can't let you go. You're, you're my points guy. You run the actual points party. Uh, can't go without talking a little bit about Apple card. Um, one thing I have a bit of follow-up where a couple weeks ago when I was talking about Apple card, I think with Jim Dalrymple and I was talking about how I prefer cash back to points and I'm big. I've had Amex for like 10 years and we've got a, a gazillion points. Um, but that my, and I know I, I talk to you about this every year, <laughs> Dan, about how do I figure out how much money an Amex point is worth? It is maddeningly hard. I, speaking out of my ass a few weeks ago on the show, said uh, I, I tend to think of them as being worth two cents each. And a whole bunch of readers were like, you're nuts. They're nowhere near two cents each. Although, you know, depending on what you do, like through Amex travel, you can maybe make them worth that. But like the way that like Amazon lets you use your Amex points just to buy stuff from Amazon, you're only getting like uh, seven tenths of a cent per point or something like that. 
So me valuing them at t- t- $0.02 cents each, which would be the equivalent of 2% cash back, is probably uh, probably wrong. It's a little ambitious, although I think that is what the point – and the, the points guy is, is the pointsguy.com, which is uh, uh, you know the, probably the biggest um, points site. And it's, it's like 100 employees now or something like that. Wow. So if you look on their site, it says MX membership rewards are worth $0.02 cents each. Um, and same as chase points, uh, that is, that is very, very ambitious, um, optimistic, optimistic based on a very specific thing, which is transferring them to, uh, a partner. So the, you, you know, one of the things you can do with the Amex points and chase points and some other points programs is transfer them sometimes on a one-to-one basis, sometimes on a slightly different ratio to other programs. Um, like an I airline think, or something. Exactly. And then use them to book award travel in you know, first class or business class and then use the theoretical value of that ticket based on a cash fare that you would never actually pay, like a $10,000 ticket. Right. And then you do the math, and then you get to you know, and it yeah. can be more than two points, two yeah. cents. It could be five cents. It could be you know three to four cents. Right. Um, and that you know, when when I get that kind of rate, it's usually, and I have an Amex too. I mostly do Chase points. When I when I get that rate, it's when I transfer points, usually to um, often to a Hyatt hotel account or something like that and book a room in Tokyo that would cost $800 or something like right, that. Right. And that's when I'm getting more than two cents a point. It's rare though to do that. And Amex actually gives you a worse deal than Chase when you're just using their booking site, um, which I didn't know. I, you know, I got this Amex um, uh, early this year or late last year and uh, and I didn't realize that the the points would be worth so little when you're booking through their system. Um, yeah. Chase Chase actually gives you a better deal. It gives you, if you have the reserve, it gives you one and a half cents per point, um, you know, guaranteed basically. And Amex is, I think, one cent per point if you're booking a flight, and even less if you're booking a hotel. Uh, but I th- it really depends on the on the thing. So yeah, the, the maximum value again is is transferring it. Um, which is totally doable if if you specifically know what you want and and then again if you're going to assign if you're going to really believe that the cash value is how much it's worth I mean I don't think either of us are right. going to spend ten grand even on a first class <laughs> flight to Hong Kong or something like that right. some people do people do right. it every day it's amazing uh, I know. Um, what was the, what was that terrible leak that like Apple was, yeah. was on United? <laughs> I think it was, it, or that they just have a standing order for for like forty a lot of business class forty tickets. seats every single day on flights to uh, Beijing Shenzhen or something yeah Shenzhen or, yeah, or something Beijing. like that. <laughs> um, it's nice if you can do it, I guess. Uh, so yeah, so that's where that that two cents. I try not to to get less than one and a half cents per point from from Chase and Amex and those yeah. types of things. This summer, I used some Amex points uh, very well to take some last minute flights um, that, for whatever reason, were priced inexpensively in points. Hmm. Uh, I think I was flying from Paris to Milan for the uh, furniture festival, 
Um, but if you had paid cash for them, it was like 800 euros or something. Well, like that, that, that so, was one of the things that I heard from a couple of readers or listeners, I guess, since I only talked about it, but a couple of listeners who obviously know way more about it than I do said the same thing that one of the, that, that if you ever make last minute travel or flights and, you know, I tend to, because stuff like Apple events tend that invitations don't tend to come far in advance. Uh, and you know, it just happens, but that the point that when you book with points, Typically, not always because they're airlines and so always never applies, but typically the points value doesn't go up when you're closer, you know, when you book last minute, like you, you know, like a Paris to Milan flight might be the same number of points, whether you're booked three months in advance or three days in advance. And you can really, you know, score some deals that way in terms of what you would actually pay because, a lot of the times when you book last minute and you're paying, just paying for the flight, you, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe what I'm paying for this flight for a seat and coach. Totally. Um, and the, the, the maddening thing about points is that there's no hard and fast rule. Like right. it could actually be more points. It could be fewer. Um, one crazy thing that tends to happen is that sometimes airlines open up cheap points tickets right right before the flight goes yeah, or like yeah. the day before. And I, of course, am a jerk. So if I noticed that well, last year, I had a, a, an expensive points ticket booked and I noticed that like the day before that they had opened up a cheaper points ticket. So I called in and had half my points refunded to right. me. Um, but hey, got to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a great strategy is using points for, for last minute. One thing that um, that I didn't know until I got the MX card was I didn't realize it took a whole statement, basically two statements before you get your points, yeah. uh, which makes the Apple cash thing actually really, really compelling because you literally get the cash the next morning. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm finding that now that I've had my card for uh, a couple of weeks now, my Apple card, I find that very satisfying and it's irrational because, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it sometimes it's like I just bought a six pack of beer and I'm getting 70 cents yeah. back or, or I don't even know what it is, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes it's like a quarter or something like that. Uh, but I still find it satisfying. It's like, here, here, here's some cash. It's just right there. There you go. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, if you're going to invest a lot of time and energy into and collect points and you know put together the trip of a lifetime or the trip of of a year once or twice a year you can totally get a lot of value out of it yeah. um i you know someday i'll actually do the math and remember to write everything down and see like what my total yeah. redemption value for the year is you know it could be as high as 5% of my spend it could be yeah. even more i don't i don't know but if you're not and if you just want some rewards and you want them quickly and you want them to be useful, you know, I've already earned like two free coffees from Apple card and I barely use it yeah. and, and just use it right away. And I think for a lot of people, that'll be super compelling. Yeah. So basically what I've concluded is that it, like you said, it's optimistic to treat Amex points and you do get a point per dollar spent. So if I buy one, a dollar on my Amex, I get a point. Two months right, and I believe you and you, I think you still have the platinum. So you probably yeah. get five points per dollar on, on airplane tickets yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but we also got the American card. So now we're using that oh, for yeah. the tickets. Right. It's, uh, but, <laughs> but, but it, basically if, if it's optimistic to treat an Amex point as, as worth two cents, um, 
on a day-to-day basis, just going out, buying groceries and doing all these things where I can use Apple Pay. And day-to-day, my life here in Philadelphia, I can use Apple Pay just about everywhere that I, you know, just just running errands. Um, I just use the Apple Card now because getting 2% cash back to me, it's like, well, then it's, there's no optimism about it. I'm just getting 2% back in a cash account. So why not? Um, so anything where I actually have to hand the card over, I still use the Amex and anything where I can use Apple pay, I just use Apple card. Yep. Yeah. It's, you know, it ends up being a a pretty decent deal, especially relative to most, you know, most, I think half of the spending. So I wrote about this a bit on, on, uh, the new consumer. Um, I wrote a couple pieces on, I wrote one piece on Apple card so far. Um, and I should write my new points party on Apple card soon. The 2% is actually pretty good. I mean, mo- uh, half of all spending is still on debit cards where people are getting nothing. Um, a lot of that is because people either do not want or can't get credit cards. Although, so, so that's part of what Apple's trying to do is make it easier to get yeah. a credit card and make it less punishing. I mean, it, it, you still can spiral into debt, which is not good. But the, the, the fee structure, at least for the Apple card, no late fees, no overcharge fees, all that kind of stuff is a lot friendlier than than most cards, period. Um, but 2% is not, is not, it's not bad. And what's interesting is this little economy that started to happen and, you know, they've already reached a, they had the launch deal with Uber. I'm not sure how long it goes for yeah. Uber. If you use Uber and the Apple card through the Uber, I think it's only through Apple pay. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But you you get, know, I'm not sure how that works either. Well, either way, they, they yeah. give you 3% back instead right. of 2 so that's 50% right. more more reward spending on Uber. Right. Uh, thought it was interesting they did it with Uber, even though they're shareholders in Lyft, or at least were. Anyway, doesn't matter. But um, And then on the other end, the Apple Cash economy. And I don't know how much they're going to talk about Apple Cash because I think Apple Card is probably the main message, at least for now. But you could see a world in which redeeming your apple cash you could also get a deal whether you're spending it at you know a partner or on uh, you know on on the itunes store or whatever where they could multiply your apple cash by you know some certain amount uh in exchange for using it toward something um i haven't that that hasn't really started yet uh, right now, Apple Cash is just worth you know whatever it is. But I could see some, I could imagine an interesting economy uh, picking up around Apple Cash at some point. The way that Square Cash and some of the other ones have built um, bonus programs. Although Square has since ruined the <laughs> oh, this, I wanted to, this was the thing. So where, where I forget when I was in New York and you and I and you introduced me to this. Sometimes it was year. like uh, it was almost a year ago, man. <laughs> well, you introduced yeah, me. So I've fall. I've had the Square Cash account. That's where you use the the cat. They just call it Cash. It's the little green Cash app. app. Cash app. And I've been using that to send money to friends, you know, to square up deals where one person puts a credit card in, you'd send, you know, use Square Cash. And it's easy to hook it up to your bank account and move move money in either direction, you know, without paying any fees at all, just to, you know, put more money in my Square Cash account, blah, blah, blah. But what you can do with the Square Cash is you can say, give me a debit card, not a credit card, a debit card. And uh, they send you a debit card in uh, 
it's nice because you, you can like sign your name and then they actually like laser embed the signature right on the front of the card or you could draw like a funny face. You could do whatever you want with it, uh, make your own little design. But anyway, the reason you turned me on to this was that they have these things. They actually do have rewards, even though it's a debit card. They call them boosts. <laughs> and it's a weird system. And it's just the only way it would pot like no bank could ever offer this. This could only happen from a startup with <laughs> – VC money coming in through a fire hose. Like no bank could ever do this. Uh, they're a public company now, which is crazy, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, no sane bank would ever do this. Right. Uh, like in the same way that no traditional retailer could just take all of their profits and pump it back into the business like Amazon did forever, you know, as opposed to actually turning a profit. Uh, uh, it's, you know, but the, the boosts actually pay. And the one boost, so the idea is that they, they every month or so, they change the boosts that are offered. And I guess they have partnerships with some of these companies. And some of them they just do on their own. But they had for a while, they had like a Shake Shack boost. And, if, and, and you can only have one boost on your account at a time. You go in the app and you say, here's the boost I want. I want Shake Shack. And if you go to Shake Shack, you'd, you'd get like, I don't know, 15% off your order or something like that. Um, they They've still have whole foods on there and you can i think what they offer is like five percent up to two hundred dollars or something like that so it's equivalent to getting like the amazon uh or the whole foods card or whatever it is that you can get five percent at whole foods but the one that you that that made me get the card is they had a it was a coffee shop boost and any coffee shop you could buy they would give you a dollar back not like a percentage a dollar and i tend to buy just plain drip coffee so it's like 250 or $3 i go in get a coffee for $2.50 and using that card i would get a full dollar back every time and i used the, i got the card as soon as you told me to i've used it for a year and now the the bastards have taken it away i, I don't yeah, even understand of, how it works anymore well now i'm looking at it right now now you have to use the card five times to unlock the boost so basically they're trying to get you because people like me who only use it on boost purchases <laughs> that's you know, the only thing i ever used it for in a year the card yeah. a is totally worn out because <laughs> because the the uh the the nearest coffee shop to me doesn't take apple pay so i'd have to hand the card over and, oh, yeah. and so they were scanning it um uh, uh, that's all I used it for was buying coffee, <laughs> and yeah. I was getting so, so, I was getting like a, the equivalent of a forty percent cash back. It was a great deal. I mean, and the, the Whole Foods used to be ten percent. Now yeah. it's five percent. But ten percent back at Whole Foods is crazy. Like that's way better deal than the the Amazon card was giving you. You can't you cannot uh, get you can't get ten percent on any credit card. That's it's insane. No, no. yeah, uh, unless no, <laughs> and, le- and even five percent is uh, a really good deal. Especially yep. on a debit card where you're not, you don't, you know, you, there's no, even if you're resistant to credit cards on principle or something like that, uh, t- 5% is, is great. Yeah. I know how to get 10% back at Whole Foods, but it only happens sometimes. Um, anyway, uh, re- pointsparty.com. Uh, I talk about it there, I think. But um, yeah, basically, they just want you to use the, the card more to get that boost back. Yeah. And then I think it's only valid for five times after that. It's still basically good for five bucks every once in a while too. Yeah. But I don't want to um, use that card anywhere else. No, what they have, what they, and now it's, uh, so I'm looking at mine right now, 10% off at sweet green, 5% off at Ticketmaster, 10% off bed, bath and beyond. Um, 
But the the one that is an official partnership now actually is fifteen percent off every order at DoorDash. Wow. Um, and they they just did a big deal with DoorDash. They sold caviar to DoorDash. Caviar was the food delivery service that Square had owned. Um, oh, I didn't know that so, Square owned that. Okay. Yeah, so they sold it to DoorDash, and they're doing this uh, marketing partnership with uh, the Boost as well. So if you look at most of the Boost, it says at the bottom, uh, Whole Foods has nothing to do with this. Boost provided solely by Cash App. Um, The one with DoorDash does not say that. So that is an official partnership. But it's a very clever idea because, again, much like the Apple Cash and even actually – more than the Apple Cash, it's money that you get back instantly, and yeah. it's actual money. It's not yeah. points that will show up in a month and a half that no. you can use for something else. No, so, it's little cash. Very clever. Little cash in a debit card account that you, if you choose to, you can just transfer at no fee right to your checking account or wherever else you have hooked up, or send it to your friend. You know, I can send uh, my friend Dan, uh, you know, money, and it just right there from the money I got for buying stuff you know, with these boosts. So anyway, they, it's a cool thing to have. And again, it, you don't pay anything. You sign up, you get your cash account. It's free. And then all you free. transfer money to start funding it free, get the card free. And, uh, you know, so I rec- I still recommend it, even though they took away my beloved co- coffee shop boost, uh, or at least they took it away from applying every single time, but yeah. it's still a cool thing to have. So. It's fun. And, and cash app is one of those things where, you know, among the tech nerd, uh, or like media Twitter, people don't really use it that much. Like Venmo, especially in, the, yeah. in New York is, is very popular. Cash app is huge. It's, uh, the square said in their earnings last quarter, I think that three and a half million people were using the cat, the cash card alone in the month of June. So that's a lot of people. I think it's only in America too. So yeah, I think so too. Yeah. That's a huge success. It's one of the top apps. If you look in the App Store yeah. download rankings, especially yeah. on the weekend, it's always in the top. I don't know, twenty five or something like that. So yeah, because it's got big the, success. It, it's got the built in almost social media viral effect, where you, of course you're going to get more people who join in, like especially on weekends. For the I, I think that the check sharing thing is just got to be. So, it's so obvious, right? So you go out with a bunch of pals, and a couple of you already have the cash app. App. And then you can say, "Oh, what's the Cash App?" And they say, "Oh, it's a free app. And if you do it, then we, you know, you can send me uh, fifteen bucks to square up the meal. Uh, you know, no pun yeah. intended. Uh, so you can totally see how it spreads. And there, you know, you tell people, "Hey, no fees. There is no fee. Nothing. No fee to sign up. No fee to transfer money. And it's super easy to use. It's actually a really nicely designed app, in my opinion. Um, there's a, one or two things that they're hidden behind, like." You have to like tap your your avatar or something like that to get it. It's a little, but for it's, the most part, it's designed it's, for uh, millennials who yeah. who uh, read with their fingers or something like that. Yeah, but and you know, and it and and much like Apple Card, it's totally modern. And when you uh, buy something, you get a little notification that it was used immediately, um, which is I, I love. You know, because it gives you that reassurance that if somebody does skim your number or something like that, and you, you, you're as soon as they try, as soon as they use your number to buy something, you're going to get a notification on your phone that tells you it was used. Uh, uh, so anyway, I recommend it, and all thanks to you. I had the cash account, but the card, you know, I have to thank. I have to thank you. Yeah, it's cool. The other funny thing is, uh, it's one of those things where you know I, I never really see ads for it, but the minute you leave a big city and turn the radio on somewhere, there's ads. <laughs> ads for cash app all the time on the radio which is kind of funny it's like a, it's one of those things where it's a truly mainstream product that yeah. 
the like tech elite just don't really use as much. Yeah. Whatever. Good. Yeah. Square's still doing a good job too on the other end, on the retail end, where I see more and more shops where 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 places where I do use uh Apple Pay where they've got the Square readers uh you know for doing it. For yep. for doing your transaction. They've got the cool thing like the uh, uh, La Colombe Bay, which is my favorite coffee shop here in Center City, Philly. Um, they've got those ones where it's like two tablets. And so the, the, there's a bigger tablet that faces the person behind the counter and a smaller tablet facing the customer so that they don't have to – like a lot of the iPad-based point-of-sale things where there's just the one iPad – they have to pivot it around for you to see it and, you know, tap how much of a tip you want or whatever, you know, which isn't onerous, onerous, however you pronounce the word. Uh, but the, the little dual tablet system that the square terminals have is really elegant. And in my experience, I don't know, it could just be like the placebo effect that I think that they are good and faster. To me, they seem to work faster where the, the NFC reader is very, very fast with the iPhone, and the transaction goes through faster. But that could just be my imagination. Possibly the first responsive Android tablet in history. I guess they're Android. I guess they have to be because it would be insane yeah. if they wrote their own uh, operating system from scratch. But it's, oh, I see. Well, maybe. Uh, I mean, it would it would presumably be Android based, based right. at, at any rate. But, but with yeah. the, you know with their own complete control over everything that goes into it. It's it is it's very iPad like in terms of responsiveness and accuracy of the touch and stuff like that. Yeah, and the the build quality, not to be that guy, but the build yeah. quality seems very nice too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very nice thing. I, I think Square overall is uh, in some ways it seems more it, well, I, I think I think I think there's good reason for it too. Square of the two Jack Dorsey companies seems the more Jack Dorsey Whereas Twitter went through so many weird total yeah. upheavals where Dorsey was out and uh, they brought in Dick and there was the times when uh, – oh, what's his name was the CEO, uh, the medium guy. Uh, Ev Williams. Ev Williams was – you know, they, they – they, and then Ev was in and then he was out and then Dick was gone and Jack is back and, and Twitter is such a weird mishmash of everything, you know, like I, in my opinion, no one would look at Twitter's stuff and think, well, that's a really elegant design. It's not bad. It's not ugly, but it's, there's a lot of complex stuff. Whereas everything from square is very, very tidy in my experience it's from their hardware to their apps. Uh, it's a, it's a company I really admire. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Huh, I think we've run the gamut there. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect anything else from the event. I know that there's Mac stuff coming. I don't expect them to do it. I think that the whole event will be phones, watches, and services. Some wacky thing happened this week where people are like, oh, AR glasses. No. And, <laughs> I, <laughs> I also no, wouldn't I be surprised so. if the tile tracker thing isn't in next week's event. That it's just mm. – uh, could be. But I, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like I feel like the phones, watches, and services alone would be enough to fill the event, and then why dilute it with further stuff? Right? Have there been uh, hardware leaks of that or anything like that, or is it just the software? Just the software, I think. And and the only hardware that's leaked is the diagrams of the things, the little circles that are in the software. You know, that if you poke yeah. about the iOS 13 beta. There's things that suggest it's like a little, like a coin type thing with an Apple logo in the middle. 
So I know they've probably learned their lesson, but this could this be one of those things where they're like, and <laughs> and we're working on these little tagger. No, little tag I hope not. I think that they've learned a lesson. I've heard, I've actually, you know, you're, you're referencing AirPower and that they, yeah. they announced that prematurely. I've heard. I mean, Air, AirPods too were delayed quite a bit after the, the uh, initial announcement. But I don't think that they regret it. I think that they announced, I think yeah. they, I, I, I feel like they wish they'd. Because they did come out before Christmas, so I feel like that's as late as they could come like out. Like the day before, but yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but I kind of feel like they needed to announce, you know, like they needed to be announced with the phones that dropped the headphone jack. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I don't think they regret it. I, I know from talking to several people at Apple that there's a real uh, – uh, it's not just, hey, we screwed up with air power. It was this was screw up in terms of gambling on a product that we we didn't know we could build yet. Yeah. You know. Man, the, I still want it. I know. Uh but yeah, so yeah, I could I don't know. The cuz the hardware is the stuff that often is the thing that leaks, which is crazy. So, I don't know. I don't and I'm not sure what a when a better time to I guess when it's ready is the right answer, yeah. but I'm not sure when a better time to, to roll that out would be. Do you think there'll be new AirPods? No, I don't. I think, because no. I think these second generation ones just came out and I know no. that there are some rumors. And I know German said that they're working on future ones, but I, I can't imagine that they would come out before Christmas. I really don't. I think that, that would be a next year thing. Cool. All right. Then it sounds like a pretty simple, uh, simple thing. You, uh, I guess the HomePod is the one thing that, I, that seems like there there mm. would be a hardware leak from that too if there was something new. Well, but. there's a rumor that they're coming out with one with only two t- tweeters instead of seven. Uh, yeah, which I you know I was talking to Jim Dalrymple about it, and he's he's a bigger music guy than me, but I can only imagine that that would be a a new lower cost HomePod in addition to the existing HomePod because I just can't see the HomePod. The whole appeal of the HomePod is how good it sounds, and there's just, no matter how smart it is, there's no way a two tweeter one it could be better than the seven tweeter ones so i don't know that would be cool but again i don't expect it i would expect that later you know like an october event like yeah in october next event, year who knows yeah but like even if all that stuff's ready like the october events are always a little bit lower key in every regard and they they can therefore jump around more and say here's the new mac here's the mac pro we promised at wwdc and here's a new macbook pro 16 inch size that's like this and here's the tile tracker and we've got two new ipad pros and you know and jump around and and do that whereas the september one i feel like they they don't want to cram a lot of stuff in there and and the services narrative is so important to them in terms of their the story that they're selling to wall street that i really you know i i can't i'd be shocked i would be absolutely shocked if they don't unveil all of the details for the, the services they announced back in March on Tuesday, including pricing, including dates, um, and doing that at their highest profile event of the year, they're going to want to distract from that as little as possible. And therefore, I, the only other thing I expect would be the phones and the watches. Makes sense. That's what I think. But, you know, who knows? Uh, I had one more idea, but uh, no, I forgot it. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, it probably wasn't good. Anyway, Dan Fromer, thank you. Uh, so the new consumer is at newconsumer.com. 
excellent newsletter. I enjoy every single issue of it. I feel like also I enjoy the pace. If I want to complain, you know, we were we were patting Ben uh, Thompson on the back. I, I sometimes can't keep up with Stratechery. Not because I feel like he's writing needless words, but because it's just he's, he writes too many good words. Whereas I really enjoy the couple times a week pace of the new consumer. Thank you. Yeah, huh. and if if you're if you care about e-commerce or consumer brands or marketing or just the future, uh, give it a shot. Yeah. Newconsumer.com. Yeah, really enjoy it. Uh, and people can follow you on Twitter. You're an excellent Twitter follow at uh, From Dome, F-R-O-M-E-D-O-M-E on Twitter. I enjoy you there too. Uh, my thanks to you. And uh, let me thank our sponsors. Sometimes I forget to thank them at the end of the show. Uh, I'll go backwards. Eero, where you can go to get Wi-Fi that'll saturate your whole home. Hello, Pillow buckwheat pillow that might change the way you sleep forever. And then last but not least, clear bank with a C for the bank, uh, where you can go to raise money for your, uh, uh, for your company. Really, really interesting sponsor of the show. They obviously think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there and there probably are listening to the show. My thanks to them, Dan. Thanks. See you soon.